Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Podcast episode 178. Dexter Henry Brian Fonseca here. We, as we are recording this, this yes, the NBA season's over. <laughs> it's over. We are now looking at the play-in playoffs. Hopefully, everybody's enjoying the playing. We'll get into uh, that in the forthcoming episode. Not, we'll not, not this one yet. Yeah, we we'll gotta get, get to that. these awards. Yeah, we're gonna talk <laughs> about end of the season awards, a little hip hop in this episode. So we're going to talk about all that. Uh, I'm here. Brian, how you doing, man? You fine? You good? Doing, doing, doing all right, you know? All right. Doing, doing, doing all right. But by, by the time this episode comes out, I will have been fully vaccinated. So that's good. And it's hopefully important feeling, to know. Hopefully feeling better. Not too badly after that either. We'll see. A couple, day, a couple days off at work won't, won't, won't hurt anybody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely necessary. I'm going to try not to, though. I'm going to stay hydrated. But I'm saying if it comes to that, like, I could probably use the rest. I've been doing a lot. Just yeah, saying. Definitely. Stay hydrated. All right. But joining us to talk about the end of the season and the NBA is our guy, the homie, Jamal Murphy, the blackatologist. You see him with us every Thursday on NBA Picks and Props. Murph, what up, man? What up, what up? Thanks for having me. This all-NBA stuff is tough, man. It's tough. It's, it's tough. tough. It's tough. And we're going to get into this all-NBA stuff because it's, it's, really, it's really tough. And we got a lot of decisions and stuff to make uh, that's, that's rather interesting. But before we get into that, we are going to uh, go quickly, very quickly, rapid fire through the individual uh, awards. That, that's, what, that's what we're going to do. Go through the individual awards. So, we're going to go through that. Guys, I'm going to start off first with uh, MVP. Just give me your pick. Who you got for MVP? Was it a tough decision for you, yes or no? Murph, since you're the guest, I'll start with you. MVP, who you got? I got to go Jokic. Um, I mean, he's just had a, he's had a great season, and the games played was the key. And this is a year where I think games played really matters. You had so many issues, so many people missing games, and I'm not trying to – uh, fault the people who did miss games. It's understandable, but you got to give credit to the guys who who are out there playing every game. And he's played every single game this year. His his numbers are crazy. Uh, his PER is crazy. 
Now, if you if you know if Embiid would have played you know 15 more games, uh, I think it would be a tough decision. But based on everything now, um, I gotta go Jokic, and I don't think I think it's pretty much a no brainer. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm I'm with you on that, Brian. What about you? Who'd you go with, Jokic, or did you go Embiid? No, it was easy. At some point, I think it's it's reasonable to ask whether or not Joel Embiid deserves to still be in second place. But mm. as I was like going through it, and I said to myself, "Who gives a shit about the runners up?" You know what I mean? I think a lot of people deserve to be mentioned, but I think Jokic is so far and away easily the MVP and one of the more unlikely MVPs we've ever seen because a second round pick uh, almost never gets this award. I think only one other has done that in history. I'm forgetting who it was, but like, you know, Chris Paul's name is somebody who would be on my ballot if I had one. Joel Embiid would be on my ballot if I had one. And then from there, I mean... Steph Curry probably has a case. Julius Randle would absolutely be on my ballot. I've said that. Like, he's in my top five for MVP this year. He should be. And then you're looking at one more person. It's between either Jimmy Butler, Damian Lillard, Giannis, or Luka. And I don't know where I'd go there. And I also don't think it matters because it was easily far and away Jokic, and we don't need to spend too much time on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys on this. I think this is far away Jokic, as Murph said. Available, played in, in all the games, put up insane numbers, led his team to – at the time of recording this, to possibly the three seed in the Western Conference, this even following the loss of Jamal Murray. Yeah, Jokic has Jokic undoubtedly been the, the best player. Would have liked to seen Embiid get it if he didn't get hurt. Uh, LeBron was playing great before he got hurt, too. But this is, a, this was a, this is a, to me, a pretty easy vote on the awards. All right, next. Most improved player. I think this one is also pretty easy. I don't think it's that crazy. Even that easier, to, to be honest. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that. Oh, who, so who you got for this one, Brian? Julius Randle. And anyone else, like, if anyone votes for Jeremy Grant, honestly, like, they deserve to just not be able to vote anymore. Like, just not be eligible to do this anymore. It's Julius Randle, and that's it. Like, I, like, just, if you just <laughs> watch the games, like, who cares? Like, it's, it's obviously Julius Randle and the Knicks are the shit the most surprising team in the nba this season probably so yeah i mean come on he's been awesome he's he's and he should be an mvp candidate as well as being the easily you know easily the most improved player yeah murph what about, what about you is it a julius Randle runaway for you yeah no question about it i mean there's just you know he's probably for many years like how many years you have to go back to find the most obvious uh most improved player and to the level he did it, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody expected him to to lead the Knicks to the playoffs, to, to even be the man to the extent that he was even on his own team. Um, but, you know, league-wide, he just killed people. Average, what, uh, 24 and 10 and 6. I mean, come on, man. I mean, there's no there's nobody coming close to that as far as most improved. Nah, no, nobody. I think you're right. It hasn't been this dominant in years. The biggest thing for me with Julius Randle is – the jump. Look, look, actually, let me say, let me take that back. The biggest thing with Julius Randle is Nick fans did not want him here after last year. They wanted him out after last year because he was turning the ball over. He became a much improved playmaker. The three point shooting, which I was killing him for last year, taking seven, eight threes a game. I'm like, why are you doing this? You're shooting like 28%. This year, he's shooting 41% from deep. And you have confidence. And Murph, you and I talked about this late in the game. He's going at uh, Anthony Davis we saw in the last week. He's going at Paul George, all league defenders, confidently hitting step backs over them. You're like, that's when you know a guy's taking it to the next level, when they're going right at elite defenders and making those shots. 
He's the reason Knicks are where they are. It's no, <laughs> to me, it's not even close. Like, don't give me uh, Jeremy Grant, as Brian no. mentioned. Don't <laughs> give me Christian Wood. Get all that no. out of here. Let me, can that. I say something about that real quick? Christian Wood, like, now that I'm looking at Kelly Olynyk go to Houston and ball out, I'm looking at Christian Wood a little funny. Because I'm like, are we sure this dude is that good? No. For this team that was 5-44 and 44 in the last 49 games of the season or something along those well, lines, I mean, maybe 5-45. Some, some, some of his like, momentum I, got hurt from him. Like, I don't know if I'm hurt. buying this Christian Wood shit, man. Because I'm looking at <laughs> Kelly Olynyk putting up 29-11. and 11, And I'm like, Kelly Olynyk has been the same dude the entire time. It's just now, you know, he, on a now bad, he has to score on a bad They team. have 10-day dudes in the rotation. They have undrafted rookies that even me and Murph have never heard of. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, they have a dude, I don't even remember his name, but, like, in his second NBA game, he dropped almost 30 points. All those Houston Rockets numbers are bullshit. That's basically <laughs> what I'm saying. All of them. No love, no love for Christian Wood. All right, move, moving along. Next, uh, rookie of the year. For me, this probably got a little bit close, but I don't think it's necessarily uh, that close. Uh, Murph, uh, are you going with your guy? You know who we're talking about here. Are you going with your guy for rookie of the year? Yeah, yeah, I got to go with my guy. Even though it, it, <laughs> I think it became closer and I have respect for the other guy. Um, but, yeah, I got to go LaMelo Ball here. Um, just dynamic. Uh, he had the injury that, you know, the, the injury is the only reason why, you know, people started to question whether he was the rookie of the year. He was the best rookie all season. You know, gets you in all three categories in terms of scoring, rebounding, assists. Um, also had the flair for the dramatic. Uh, was, you know, people love to watch the highlights. He kind of he kind of checks all the boxes. Um, and he came back strong after that injury. He got injured, you know, a wrist injury, comes back, um, still plays well. That That says something by itself. So I think LaMelo Ball definitely deserves it. You know, I know he has a name. People are going to hate on him, uh, but you got to give it to him. Yeah, I think you got to give it to how you played. Uh, Brian, same for you? Significant impact on winning. You could sort of yep. feel it anytime he played, and that's what makes the difference for me when I'm looking at, you know, rookie of the year based on, you know, a multitude of things, not just individual performance. Anthony Edwards was in position to really steal it if LaMelo Ball didn't come back from that injury. And surprisingly, he did. And to Murph's point, played well when he came back. So, you know, they're one and two for me, Anthony Edwards being two. But I think it was easily LaMelo Ball's award just based on everything that he did this year. Those are the yeah. top two guys. And I guess Tyrese Halliburton's probably third, I suppose. Yeah, and I'll give some love to Anthony Edwards because his game did improve. You know, it almost actually took off after that crazy dunk that he had on Watanabe. His game did improve, and he became a more polished player. He's somebody to keep an eye on for the the Wolves as he goes into his second year. But I think it's a mellow balls award. I like when a rookie impacts winning. Not many do. So when you see that, I think it's special. And he's been special, and he's just a guy who seems to do it all. And Murph, you know, I had questions about his jump shot coming into the league. Same. And his jump shot's been way better than I thought it would be. Um, and, yeah, I, I was – not that I thought he was going to be a bust. I was just sleeping on him. I didn't see the talent as good. And, and you know, uh, some of the other guys who look around college basketball and looked around a lot of prospects, they were very high in this guy's ability. And I can definitely see why yeah. right now. He, he's a guy – you look at him and he's like, oh, yeah, I see he was ready for the NBA, no doubt. Like, he can play with these guys and he can lead a team. And once they started starting him, it was like, yeah, you see his impact on winning and waiting too. No yeah, doubt. We, yeah, once he figures the game out, because he's kind of a young dude, 
you could tell he hasn't had that much coaching. Um, kind of raw. He's, he's you know similarly raw as as Lamelo Ball is, um, mm-hmm. but he I think you know, Lamelo Ball has a a little better understanding of the game. But once he figures it out, man, I mean his athletic ability is so crazy. And then we you know he's very confident. Um, he showed me a lot this rookie season. So moving forward, he might be a beast. Yeah, 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 definitely. And this rookie class, actually, if you just talk about that, just looking at it, they've probably been a little bit better than people expected. You know, people are so down on this rookie class. And we just talked about, Brian talked about what he thinks is the top three, which I would agree, and they've been pretty good. All right, moving on. Next thing, we have uh, sixth man of the year. Uh, maybe the least exciting award to talk about, <laughs> probably. Uh, Jordan Clarkson has been a front runner for most of the year. Brian, do you have him winning? Absolutely not. No fucking, <laughs> no way. <laughs> Look, he was hot to start off the year, and then he tailed off to the point where he was shooting 38% for like a long stretch. And at the end of the season, he's shooting 42, 43%, something like that. I just refuse to just give out six man, six man of the year awards to heat check guys just because they come off the bench and can score 20 uh, sometimes because they disappear too often. And, you know, J.R. Smith had a great year that one year with the Knicks. Lou Williams has obviously won this award several times. Like, I just didn't want it to just give it to the heat check guy because we always seem to do that. Um, it was a very uninspiring field, but I give it to Jalen Brunson, who, you know, is up there in the odds. He averaged about 13-3, a little more than three rebounds a game and about a little more than three assists per game. Uh, shot about 52% from the field, about 40% from three, close to 80%. Uh, from the free throw line and was very good. A stabilizer coming off the bench for Dallas was their second best player after Luka and plenty of nights. Um, but I wanted to give a shout out to Derrick Rose because, I mean, he only has like a 30-ish game window coming off the bench for the Knicks. But goddamn, he was averaging like 15, 4, and 3, shooting almost 50% from the field, over 40% from three in those games he was coming off the bench for the Knicks and almost 90% on free throws. It just was only a 30-game stretch. So, And I want to show love to my guy, Bobby Portis, who for whatever reason is not even listed in any of in many of the odds. Like, he's plus 10,000 in one book. He averaged 11 and 7 coming off the bench, 52% from the field, Almost 50% from three. It was like 46, 47, something along those lines. And was doing it for the Milwaukee Bucks. So people are just like, ah, we're not giving the Bucks shit until they could win it in the playoffs. So Bobby Porter should should get a mention. Great percentages for him, but he has a 100% chance of punching somebody in the face. That's probably why he's not uh, getting mentioned there at all. Uh, Murph, who do you have have winning six-man of the year? I mean, I hear what Brian's saying. You know what I'm saying? It was an uninspired field to choose from, but... I can't hate on Clarkson like that, man. I got to give it to Clarkson. You know, he ends up being the second leading scorer on the team behind Donovan. Um, you know, he he was the most consistent throughout. Um, he was he was really the no-brainer for the, at least the first half of the season to get the award. Yeah, he tailed off a little at the end. But like I said, he's still the second leading scorer on the team. A team, by the way, that we all know uh, is first in the West. It's going to be first in the West. I know Brian is not a believer in them. He is not. It is what it is. The reality <laughs> is they're first in the West. He played a major part. And when you look at the other guys, you know, in contention, I just I just can't see taking them over him. I do agree if Derrick Rose had been uh, coming off the bench the entire year and he produced to the extent he has produced, it would be a different story. But I'm going to go with Clarkson here. 
So here's my thing, guys. I looked this up. And eight out of the last nine years, the winner of the six-man award has gone to a player who was one of the top three bench scorers in the league, right? So traditionally, we give this to somebody who's put up a lot of points off the bench. Only exception was Jamal Crawford, who won the award in uh, 2016. I think he was ninth in bench scoring. Huge check um, guy. Yeah, right. And so I tend to like think like Brian, where it's like I like to give the award maybe to somebody else who's just been a little more impactful. And so if I had to vote, um, however, I do think Clarkson's been very impactful for the Jazz. And because I don't think the Jazz yes. are gonna have they're yeah. gonna have an MVP, they're not gonna have a, uh, another person. I'm inclined to give it to Clarkson, but I'm gonna you know, I'm fuck it up a little bit. I'm gonna give this to another jazz player. I'm gonna give it to oh, Joe Ingles. Oh. I'm gonna give it to Joe Ingles because Joe has been very efficient, uh, career highs in shooting from the field, career highs in shooting from three point percentage. You know, he doesn't wow you with the uh, just under 10 points a game average. But he's a stabilizer. He's the glue guy in that team. He can come and play in starting lineups. He can run a little point forward. So I like the value he has to the Jazz, and I'm going to vote a little bit that way. And I'm going to give it to jump off Joe Ingles and see, uh, you know, if he gets some love too. Uh, yeah, no, no, nobody, nobody else has called him uh, jump off Joe Ingles. There's another jump off Joe that everybody's talking about, but nobody's talking about Joe Ingles. Now. The only, the only thing that held me back from Ingles was that he started. A uh, twenty nine thirty games, something games. along those lines, yeah, just almost half the. But I mean, in a pandemic season, like I'm not mad at Joe Ingles getting it. To me, like I would put him above Jordan Clarkson as far as like okay. the best, the best off the bench player overall for the Utah Jazz because he has more dimensions to his game that he you know showed off the season. Jordan Clarkson would still be in my top five. Just you know, I think there are some better options out there who do a little bit more. Aiden on Jordan Clarkson. All right, next. Uh, this one's interesting. Coach of the year. I think this is a very – it could be intriguing. I feel, I know where I'm going. Where are you going on this, Murph? I'm going to go with uh, Monty Williams, uh, what he's done with Phoenix. Uh, you know, they, were, they didn't make the playoffs last year, um, and now they're second in the West. Um, you know, Chris Paul, I know, is there getting a lot of credit for that. But Monty Williams, even without Chris Paul, they were they were they were going to be a solid team. They had already proved them last year. Um, you know, like I said, they, they were fighting for that one spot the whole way. Uh, you know, he's 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 done a great job with Booker developing his game. I, I think you go Monty Williams here, um, and you know he finally gets some credit for for the great job he's been doing throughout his career. All right, Monty Williams, who has been a unsung, underrated coach throughout his career for sure, Brian. Are you going Monty Williams as well? No, I'm going with Tom Thibodeau. Hey. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of, you know, lay out here because Dex, I think you're gonna go in the same, uh, same direction, and I think you're gonna explain this as well as anybody. But to me, it was Tom Thibodeau, and you know, fairly easily. Yeah, so I'm going Tom. I'm going Tibbs easy, but here, I will say this: I think it was. I have no problem with Monty Williams winning, like Murph said. Uh, I also think you got to give Quinn Snyder and. And a lot of times people tend to vote with the, if, if the Jazz finish with the best record, they tend to vote for the team that got the best record that they didn't think was going to get the best record. And I think a lot of people didn't believe the Jazz would have the best record in the league. I think that's pretty fair. Doc Rivers also probably deserves some consideration for how he's turned things around in Philly and they look stable. I think that's fine. I think you also, you brought this up. We also need to talk about Nate McMillan. Yep. I know he didn't coach a lot of games, but whew, he saved the Hawks. Impact. No impact. Second he biggest has, impact, I think. And then also look at the impact. Look at how his old team's looking. Not so good. So it shows you the value there. But I think, and maybe I'm biased on this as a Nick fan, 
I think nobody did a better coaching job than Bibbs. Um, nobody had the Knicks winning 40, 41 games this year. Nobody had that. Murph and I picked some props. We thought they were going to go uh, over 20 games. We thought they'd be better. We were fine. I think we all thought that. Nobody saw this lead from Julius Randle. Nobody saw R.J. Barrett taking the lead. Maybe Brian did. Nobody nah, saw quickly coming, in, <laughs> quickly coming and doing all this stuff. Rose, the acquisition of that. And Tibbs sort of setting the culture. You can see the culture there with the Knicks. I like voting for a guy who comes in. This is why I think Nate McMillan deserves a lot of credit. A guy who comes in and changes the culture. I really like voting for a guy like that. Tibbs has done that. He's done an incredible coaching job. Uh, more than double the expected wins of this team this year. And they look like they have a solid foundation, as long as you know who doesn't get in the way. I think that he's just done an amazing job. I like it. I'm going with Tibbs as well, too. But I think Monty Williams is a fine and fair choice. You know, and I think Monty also deserves, to Murph's point, he does not get the credit he has gotten as a good coach. We saw the job Monty did, and I think this is fair to note to Murph's point. Look at the job Monty did in the bubble last year, which really set the tone for the Suns this year. People give a lot of credit to the Chris Paul acquisition, and rightfully so, but Monty Williams have really set that tone last year and done a fantastic job of getting that team ready for when Chris Paul can come in to take it to the next level. So, yeah, there's some good coaching jobs this year. I think Monty, Quinn Snyder, Tibbs, uh, Nate McMillan, Doc Rivers definitely deserve to be in that top five of consideration. But this one's really going to come down to all, like, how you vote and how you kind of see the – see the award on this. Moving and me, on. And let me add yeah, this real quick. Let me yeah. add this real quick on, on, Thib- on Thibodeau. More than anyone else, you could feel his impact. I feel like because this is very much a Tom Thibodeau team in the way they play, the way they grind on both ends of the floor. Like he, his influence, you see it more than I feel like any other coach this year. And it's, you know, his first year on a job. So I think he deserves it for that reason as well. Yeah, no, it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how people vote on this on this one. All right, defensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. I mean, I think this really comes down to two players this year, um, huh. Gobert and Ben Simmons. Um, I, <laughs> Brian, I'm gonna start with you because uh, we know how you feel about Utah. We know how you feel about uh, Rudy Gobert. Um, uh, is Rudy Gobert defensive player of the year? He's not a better defensive player than Bam Adebayo. So it's Bam Adebayo <laughs> because in, in watching and watching and watching him defend guys this year. Let me pu- I pulled up some numbers, right? This is a crazy list against Steph Curry. Steph Curry shot one for five when guarded by Bam this year. That's 20 percent. LeBron was two for eight. That's 25 percent. Giannis five for 13, 38 percent. Kyrie four for 14, 28 percent. Bradley Beal, 1 for 7, 14%. Devin Booker, 3 for 11, 27%. Julius Randle, 7 for 22, 31%. And those are mostly guards with like a few forwards in there. And Bam is 6'9. Guards one on one, switches better than anybody in the league. Uh, Rudy Gobert, I mean, he gets praised for what he does defensively, more of a team defender. And, you know, guys are able to score on him. Dorian Finney Smith was salivating when he got him on a switch. Ben Simmons dropped, like, however many points on him. Joel Embiid abused them when they played against each other. You know what I mean? Like, DeAndre Ayton wasn't scared of him. Bam. Like, motherfuckers be switching on to this dude. And they're like, oh, shit. Like, this is even worse for me now. I'd rather have Kendrick Nunn instead, if you're a guard. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Kendrick Nunn's actually become a decent defender, too. Ben Simmons, conversely. Um, you know, when LeBron James 
when he was guarding LeBron James, LeBron four for seven, fifty-seven percent. Giannis two for eight, good. Damian Lillard three for nine, that was a good performance. Uh, Bradley Beal one for eight. Devin Booker five for eight. Julius Randle four for six. Pascal Siakam five for seventeen. To me, Simmons is second. Rudy Gobert is not even uh, second. And I think that in watching him, like Bam is just the best defensive player for me. That, that's what my eyes tell me in terms of switching, in terms of being able to really guard one through five, not being scared to get out on the perimeter and actually take away guards. Rudy Gobert not as comfortable with doing that. He gets a lot of credit mm-hmm. for how great they have been uh, in terms of team defense and things like that. This is how Tyson Chandler won Defensive Player of the Year many years ago, and I jokingly call Rudy Gobert French Tyson Chandler. He's better than that, but, you know, how much really? Bam is just the best at guarding other players than anybody in the league was this season. I think Murph and I are probably going to be on the same page on this one. Uh, Murph, are, are you are you giving the award to Bam or uh, somebody else? Yeah, I'm not going to go Bam. I hear you. I know he's a, a, a good, def- a great defender. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the stats. I'm not sure. I even I even trust all the all the stats in terms of um, you know how how they've done against each defender. How you know? How are those? Who's who's counting those stats? Hey, I watched. You know? Tell you that. <laughs> we know, we know, we know you watched. Maybe if you were doing the tally, I, I'd I'd be even more confident in terms of uh, where those stats come. And also, it, you know, there's different circumstances of when you know when you're guarding someone, where you where you end up picking up all that. But I hear you. But I agree that Bam is a, is a he should be in the conversation. No question about it. Um, I'm not gonna go go bear, even though. I do value uh, his presence on defense. I think he makes a huge difference. Uh, difference, uh, probably more so just in terms of your your defensive scheme in general, rather than his one on one matchups. So I give Gobert plenty of credit uh, for that. But I'm going to go Ben Simmons um, because I, you know, similar to what you said about Bam, I, I like I like his ability to guard different guys. And we're, we're not even talking about switches here. We're talking about whoever's whoever's you know going off. Uh, you know, for the other team, they put Ben Simmons on him. Um, we, you know, I, we, I saw with my own eyes what he did to Lillard uh, down the stretch of a game, really kind of took him out of a game when they when they were at Portland, um, you know, in the middle of the season. And I also think uh, he he sacrificed a lot of his offensive game this season. And you can tell from his stats. Um, and I think he took he took on the challenge to be, you know, the best defender he could be and and kind of you know, his other stats, uh, you know, fell victim to that. So I think he deserves some credit for that. And, you know, Philly, again, Philly's the, you know, the best team in the East this year. And I think his defense has a lot to do with that. So I got to go Ben Simmons. Yeah, to that point, that's the reason I go with Simmons too. I think Simmons was the best defender on the best team in the East. Whose defense I trust. I like what I saw him with the switchability. I do think that, I do, here's where I agree with Brian. I do think Bam deserves way more credit than the national media has been giving they have not been talking about Bam. They have not been talking about his impact. It's almost as if they haven't been watching these games uh, in terms of that. Like, he is a, he's great at switching. He's, I've seen a leap in his defense from last year to this year, uh, un, undoubtedly. I'm just going to go Simmons because I just think he's been a tad bit better um, in terms of the, the game planning. You being able to say, all right, you know, maybe he's not guarding the best player this part of the game, but late in the game, let's put him on. You talked about that performance against Portland in the middle of the season. That was extremely impressive to me. Uh, he's been really good. We know he doesn't shoot, but you're right, uh, Murph, that he that has hurt his offensive numbers a little bit because he's put even more energy on the defensive end. 
So he hasn't been penetrating or playing around in the dunker spot as much as we saw. Well, you know, that was a Brett Brown thing. Nobody's doing that anymore. So I, I do think he's just been the best on the ball. And I think he can, like Bam, and this is where I think people like him and Bam deserve more credit. Just overall, if we want to have this conversation another time, they both can guard one through five. And that's the thing. That's the difference with Gobert. Gobert can't really do that. Brian brings up that point all the time. He gets out against a really good quick guard or a guy who's crafty handles the ball, a Lillard, a Luka Doncic, a Steph Curry, and it's still barbecue chicken time for them, right? Like, he's he's not – it's not like, oh, man, it's tough. If Simmons or Bam is guarding those dudes, I'm like, oh, they, they're probably going to have a tough time. So this is what I like, and I just like – I like Simmons' impact. I like the, in, the intensity he's put on the defensive end, and I'd like for us to stop just giving it to a traditional big man. I'd like Thank to see you. that happen too. That, 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 also would, that also would be kind of nice. Yeah, that's the that's the last point I wanted to make. It's just like because these two, these are the best two to me. It's Bam and Ben Simmons. I don't think Bam's going to get it because, again, to your point, Dex, the national media is just not going to vote for him. So I'm yeah. hoping that Ben Simmons gets it, but I think the national media is just going to be like, "Oh, Rudy Gobert, all the advanced numbers, uh, and Utah." Sadly, really sadly, good I have a, sadly, I think you're right, B. I think that is going to happen. To me, to me, yeah. to me, third is probably even Draymond Green because of how like. People shit on him, and he's been great defensively. And he yes. also he's back to guarding one through five. He's the second biggest reason, and there are really only two reasons why that team is even where they are. And the other yeah. one, we're probably going to talk about him during the All NBA stuff. Mm-hmm. But like to me, it's it's Bam, it's Ben Simmons, and if you even wanted to uh, throw Draymond Green in there, like that's it. But Rudy Gobert to me just doesn't. It's different. Like his defensive impact is different. It's great. It's massive, but in terms of defensive player of the year, right? It, it's not it's not him because yeah. of what those other three guys can do defensively in terms of switching and things like that. So Ben Simmons, I hope that you get it because you have the best chance out of everybody I mentioned to, right. to knock off to knock off this lazy, let's just vote for the fucking center, you know, because he blocks a lot of shots and all this shit. <laughs> Sadly, uh, I think you're right. I think it's likely the award's going to go bare, but I think we all have been looking at it a little bit differently. Hopefully, the, hopefully that changes in the future. What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. On to the good stuff. (laughs) The all-NBA teams, which is really hard to do. And last week when I was doing the NBA exchange with Gerard, our guy Gerard Hector, who was supposed to be here for this conversation, but he couldn't make it, um, we talked about now you have the ability for positional flexibility to switch and you can vote some centers who have options to be put as forward and guards who can also be forwards. And I'm not a fan of all that. I don't like it. Let's just go to positionless voting and give me the best five guys for the team. Let's stop this bullshit. We don't need to do this any, uh, uh, anymore. But what we decided to do here on the A Hard Cell Podcast, we all decided to come up with our own all NBA team. So we're going to do first team, second team, third team. We'll start with first team. Murph, give me your first team, how you came to this logic. Uh, and, and who you decided to give love to and who you decided not to give love to. Well, first, I missed the memo on the positionless uh, oh, vote. Oh, you didn't know You didn't know about this? I didn't know about this. I mean, uh, maybe, you might have told me. I don't know. Maybe I was running around after kids or something. I don't know. 
but I uh, I missed that, so I I kept it how they're gonna how they're really gonna do it. So that oh, might no, no. So, that might give me a different diff, some different people, but just so I'm clear, we're still doing you you can set. you can keep it you know you yeah, can stick with it. tradition like yeah, you know yeah, you can do still, it the way yeah I, I still did it center forward forward guard guard yeah, that's what I diff- right the difference is now no it's like that it's just it's now they're like just that. now they're just like certain guys are eligible for, for oh, other spots yeah, that's yeah, all yeah, it really yeah. is so, so for not, example it's not really going to deter you if you think a certain way anyway so. right okay. it's not going to deter you think a certain way for example you can put Luka Doncic at a guard or forward spot you can put Joel Embiid at a forward or center spot which I think is ridiculous. But you can't do that. So that's the only thing. But no, we still did this center forward forward guard guard. So we still did that. One. Okay, and I, I kind of yeah. went. I kind of went with their their uh, traditional positions. Yes, you know, that's what I got. How, how they're listed, like say, yes. on, you know, in the box score. So my team is okay. I'll start. I'll start with the guard. Everything starts with the point guard. I'm gonna go Luka Doncic. Uh, and let me just say, my criteria for all NBA really start, of course, starts with individual performance. Um, which which encompasses stats and the eye test. Okay, I, I, you gotta I gotta go with what I see, um, you know. And and eye test only if you know the game. Okay, if you don't know the game, fine. Do just go strictly by stats. I, I'll understand. <laughs> but if you know the game, <laughs> give me give me a combination. So that that's how I'm going. Okay, so I'm starting with and then uh, team performance, of course. And then this year's. In particular, as I mentioned before, games played. I think it's very important, especially yes. this year, that you give people credit for that. So, okay. So, Luka Doncic is my point guard. He played 65 games this year, uh, 28, 8, and 8.6 assists, uh, 25.35 PER. I love, you know, I love looking at PER. Um, then I'm going to go Steph Curry, another guy, 62 games, 32 points a game, uh, six assists, Six rebounds. Uh, then I'm going to go Giannis at the forward at the first forward spot. 61 games, uh, 28 points, 11 rebounds, six assists. Uh, Ka- Kawhi Leonard. Now the 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 forward the guard position was much more crowded for me than the forward position. Ka- so I went, you know, Kawhi Leonard makes the first team for me this mm-hmm. year, despite only playing 52 games. But I don't think he had as much competition as he's had in the past because other guys played even you know lesser lesser amount of games. But Kawhi's had a had a big season, twenty five points a game, seven rebounds, five assists, and of course uh, my MVP pick is the center Nikola Jokic, twenty six eleven and eight, thirty one point thirty four per. That's my first team. That's your first team. All right, Doncic, Curry, Giannis, Leonard, Jokic, for Murph, Brian. <laughs> uh, who do you have? Any similarities? Any differences? Which what, what you got? So I I also have uh, well actually yeah I'm looking at it. I also have Nikola Jokic as center, obviously first team. Uh, we'll start there. Giannis gets a forward spot. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> I put Joel Embiid at four. <laughs> uh, and the God. reason why the reason why is because. If we're trending towards, and I want all NBA to be best 15 guys, I can't leave Joel Embiid off the first team in terms of just how good he's been. Like, I understand the position thing, and he's never played forward and things like that. I wanted right. to try to put the best five guys from the season on my first team. Okay. So that was really my rationale for it. That, I feel that, dirty about fine. it. I feel you dirty feel about dirty. it. But <laughs> and then the backcourt, I actually uh, have Steph Curry and Damian Lillard because – the reason why I put Damian Lillard over Luka Doncic, which, you know, I'll get into him later. He's on my second team. 
But Damian Lillard, because I thought they were just about cooked again, given the injuries to CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic, and he carried them again and became a better playmaker. His assists went up to about 7-8 this year, you know, almost 30 points a game. Uh, Luka's usage was several points, I think three, four points higher, which also made an impression on me, you know, to to, to go on Dame's side because Luka, Luka puts up these cartoon numbers, but he also has the ball in his hands all the time. So that's not to necessarily disqualify him, but that's just comparing the two. Lillard was a little bit more impressive to me, uh, you know, for that reason. So I, uh, yeah, that's, that's my team. It's Jokic, it's Embiid, it's Giannis, it's Lillard, it's Curry. All right, so um, I, I hear you on that. I, I try, like Murph, I try to keep it straight to the positions. Um, obviously, with guard, if you know you have two point guards back there, it's kind of whatever. But I tried. To, if you did not play at this position, I was not voting for you in there. Now, I but that doesn't mean I disagree with your logic, Brian, or I don't think that it should be the five best guys in there because I think they should. I just think the NBA really needs to decide what they want to do with this. So I went Jokic uh, at center, uh, Giannis. At the other forward, this is where I differ from both you guys on this. And you guys might think I'm crazy. My other forward was Julius Randle. Wow. Um, no, uh, I yeah. almost did it. I almost yeah, did that. I and I probably would have if I didn't do the Joel Embiid thing. So. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. I was like, look, man, he's he deserves some MVP consideration. He's been consistent for the Knicks all year. He's had a fantastic season. Uh, I was. It was really between him and Kawhi for me. And Murph, because he played less games than Kawhi, uh, I mean, played more games than Kawhi Randall did, and, and Kawhi played less. I went with Randall here too. So Jewish Randall, uh, first team All NBA, and then my guards were the same as Brian. I had Lillard and Curry. Uh, thought about Luca, and you could have done some positional flexibility. I could have put Luca at a forward too, but that felt dirty, and I wasn't trying to be dirty like Brian, so I decided not to do that. Uh, but I went Lillard, Curry, um, and even though I felt kind of bad about Luca not being on there, I think Lillard has been really good. And he tail, he you know he was hurt, and then he came back really strong at the end. So I think him and Curry have been the two best guards this season. Uh, I would have to say so. I, I I put him there. So that's my that's my first team. Um, Julius Randle making the first team. If you don't like it, uh, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever. Murph, what, what do you have? How would you break out your second team? All right, my second team. I'll start with the guards. You guys had. Had Lillard on the first team, I pushed him back to the second team. Uh, it's very close, even with Doncic, very close. Um, but I had to, I, I leaned Doncic, but Lillard's right there. So he starts off my second, my second team, averaged 29 points a game, eight assists. I was impressed by his seven and a half assists this year. Uh, he's not usually a big assist guy. Uh, my second guard uh, on the second team might be surprising, but it's Donovan Mitchell. Uh, oh. remember Utah Jazz, the number one team oh. uh, in the West, and and there's a reason for that, and I think I think he's the biggest reason. I think he's the undisputed leader of the team, uh, definitely on offense, but I think just in general, uh, he played 53 games this, this season, which is you know enough. It's about what it's about what uh, Embiid played. Um, he averaged 26 points, five assists, four rebounds, uh, 21.43 PER, which is Above Randall's, um, you know, and, and his right is above Tatum, for instance. So mm-hmm. I think I think you know he's a little slept on. I I have Julius Randall on the second team. Okay, um, and that was a little struggle for me. I originally had him on my third team. 
I had I had Tatum on the second. I looked at it. I was like, nah, I gotta I gotta put him over Tatum, even though the numbers are, are pretty close. Um, LeBron James makes my second team, um, even though he only played 44 games, but I mean 25, eight and eight, basically a high PER. Uh, he did his thing while he was out there, no question about it. Then I got Joel Embiid, which I agree with Brian. It, it seems a little silly to put him on the second team, but I was going strictly by position. Right. Uh, definitely a top five player this year, but uh, second team because he's the second best center this year. All right, that's good. Mitchell, uh, I, I have a feeling Brian and I did not put Donovan Mitchell on any of our teams. I can tell by the way Brian reacted. I, I'll go. I'll tell you right now, I did not, and I, but I, I had a tough decision on the third team that I was thinking about putting him on, and we'll 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 get into that. And he says this is why the differences in voting make the conversation easy. All right, yeah. uh, interesting, I should say, not easy. Uh, Brian, who'd you, who'd you have for your second team? By the way, when we get to the third team, that's what we're probably going to end up spending the most time on. Because those cuts were... The first two teams were pretty easy for me. The third team was excruciating. It was All hard. right. Yeah. Second team. Uh, I'm going to go guard up, and you'll see why. <clears throat> first, uh, Luka Doncic, who we talked about already, uh, just couldn't quite crack the first team because of who I had there. Chris Paul on my second team. Uh, strong MVP candidate and... You know, we know that he's had a massive impact on the Phoenix Suns, and they're one of the best teams in the West. Julius Randle is on my second team and nearly cracked my first team if I didn't do that. Y'all, thing that- y'all didn't have the guts to do it. You didn't have the guts to do it. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Butler is on my second yeah, team. Well, what, what, a shock <laughs> from, what a shock from you. Jimmy Butler, um, one of the best, one of the five best perimeter defenders in the NBA this season, also even led the league in steals, which is not, you know, necessarily the metric for measuring that. But I, I, I want to, I want to pause and say something right there. See, Jimmy yeah. Butler is the one player here that I felt very comfortable with the positional flexibility, whether you wanted to go guard yeah, yeah, forward, because yeah. yeah. he plays enough in both positions. He was the one that didn't really bother me uh, on yeah. that, and I'll get to that later. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Randall, uh, Randall Butler, thus my two forwards, and you know, Butler. I mean. He lost 12 pounds during COVID, came back during the season, and was just as good as he ever has been. Probably the best regular season that he's had ever. Um, about 22-7-7 seven and seven, or something along those lines. Rudy Gobert was my second team center. Mm. <laughs> Shocking for you. Because, you know, uh, credit to Utah for doing what they did during the regular season. And again, in terms of defensive player of the year, I think that individual defense matters more than how you impact the team defense in some regard, but I think both things matter. And, you know, you can't have one without the other to some degree. I just think that certain other guys should deserve more credit for their versatility defensively. But that's not to say he's not a great defensive player. And, you know, offensively, he was there to help out as well. His advanced numbers all check out. He was really good. He was one of the best centers in the league. He could still rebound like hell uh, and impact games like that. So to me, I put him on my second team. All right. Not a bad second team there. All right. With my second team, I'll go – uh, go this guard up as well, too. Luca, one guard. Chris Paul at the other guard. Then I went with a pair of the Clippers forwards. I went with Kawhi and PG-13 uh, oh. as my as my forwards. Yeah, PG-13's had a really good season, man. Um, and he's been a little bit more available. Him and Kawhi, both the availability was tough for me. He's been a little bit more available, but he's been really good. So I put them both there. And then with center, I went with Embiid because of, like, uh, Murph. Um, you know, I, I didn't like putting him on the second team and B has played way better than the second team all NBA for sure. Uh, but I, but I, you know, if I'm sticking with the positions, um, I liked it. I will say, Brian, I really considered putting Jimmy Butler here as a forward 
him in PG-13 was a battle or putting him in one of the guard spots and moving Chris Paul now, um, those were the two that I struggled with in terms of whether I should move them or not. Uh, ultimately, I said, you know, both Clipper forwards had a great impact uh, on their team when they were out there. I, I thought they just were a little bit better. Um, so I feel bad about having to drop Jimmy Butler. And I thought Chris Paul, what he had done this year, definitely deserved the second team nod. So it, it was tough. Uh, but we know the decisions are getting tougher with the third team. It was tough. And I think you're splitting hairs on all this. But I think all the guys we're talking about definitely deserve to be uh, among the top 15 players in the league. All right, third team. Here Mark. we go. Here we go. This this is where it gets interesting. Somebody probably gets mad. Uh, oh, plenty of dudes get mad. Plenty of people get mad. Because look, look, let's let's keep it real. Like some of this stuff affects people's money, right? Like in future money. This isn't this involves like with supermax and things like that. So this thing absolutely has an impact. Not like these dudes are starving, but you get what I'm saying. Um yep. third team. Who you got? All right, third team. Guards. I'm going with my guy, Kyrie Irving from the oh, Nets. Yeah. <laughs> he played 53 games, probably had Probably had his most efficient season and, and just a, a great offensive season for him. Actually, actually, you know, with my eyes, I actually saw him playing some pretty good defense as well. Uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets are kind of an underrated defensive team when, when you think about it. That's something I want to look a little more into at some point. But um, uh, Kyrie averaged 27 a game, six assists, mm -hmm. five rebounds, uh, high PER, 24.48. Then I, I gave Chris Paul some love at the other guard. Uh, one of the, the most impressive stat for me for Chris Paul is that he's played 70 games this yes, season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no doubt. That's impressive. You know, 16 points, nine assists. That's, that's a regular for him. Four and a half rebounds. Um, at the forward position, uh, I went with Jason Tatum. I know Boston's had a tough season, but Tatum is the real deal offensively. Uh, and then you got, I factor in the, uh, COVID situation, which he, towards the end of the season, he, you know, he seemed to, you know, regain his form. Uh, he's averaged 26 points a game, seven rebounds, four assists. Uh, then I also went Paul George as the other forward. I agree he's had a really good season. He's played 54 games this year, averaging 23, seven, and five. And then the center, you know, I'm going to go Rudy Gobert. Uh, he deserves it. Um, I don't think he's the defensive player of the year, uh, but he's close. Uh, and, he, and he brings a lot, really, to both ends of the floor, you know, huge, huge body. And also 70 games played this year. That's a that's a big thing. Uh, almost three blocks, uh, high PER, 23.51. He's doing a lot out there. And like I said, Utah, first team in the in the West. I think they deserve a two and a three, uh, you know, uh, team, team player. So they get that. Um, that's my five third team players. Brian is smiling here. Um, and I'll, I'm actually, I'll get to this, Murph. I'm surprised that somebody you left off, but I hey. understand. You know probably where I'm going with that, but I understand the decision uh, there. I left and a lot of guys off, man. Yeah, we'll get, to that. Get, we'll get yeah. to that in a second. Brian, go ahead. What, what you got for 13? So because I did the move of Joel Embiid being on the first team at forward beside uh, Nikola uh. Jokic, that freed up a center spot for me, uh, which goes... Uh, who, who, who do we think is going here, folks? Which goes, to Bam, show, which, goes, which goes to Bam at a bio. The reason why he didn't get second team over Gobert, despite what I said earlier, is because Jimmy Butler did impact winning more 
than he did. I think the Heat were 33-19 and 19 or something along those lines in games that they played this year. And Bam had his opportunities to sort of carry them a couple of times that did not offensively. Um, he's a little too hesitant offensively sometimes, but, you know, that's sort of the last, the last final boss of his game that he needs to sort of overcome and really reach that level defense uh, offensively. Still, even with that, he improved a lot from last year where I thought he should have been most improved player, uh, averaging about 19-9 and 5, more than 5 assists per game, uh, damn near 6 assists per game, actually. Added a mid-range jumper, which can be automatic on some nights, which is big for me, and I think that, you know, he still is uh, probably the best defensive player in the league, and to me, he was a defensive player of the year. And um, we'll see him again in the playoffs against Giannis, and... Last time, that was, you know, one of the keys for them winning that series four games to one. Uh, forwards, I went Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. Uh, Kawhi Leonard could not leave him off. And LeBron James, I mean, even though he missed a lot of time, I mean, when he played, he was arguably the MVP. And I feel like that was enough to sort of keep him there. Um, but I'm not mad at somebody leaving him off altogether. Guards, Donovan Mitchell was on my third team. Okay. Um, that was, that was probably the toughest spot. That was probably the toughest spot. He was probably my 15th guy, uh, or 14th, depending on my next guard, how you view him. Kyrie Irving <laughs> is on my old NBA third team. Uh, to Murph's point, the efficiency was off the charts. Didn't really want to leave off a net, uh, surprisingly to Dexter, I'm pretty sure. That's and, tough. uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's just... He's been consistently good all year. Didn't really get injured in the way that he normally does, which, you know, for better or for worse, that hasn't come. And, you know, was able to help keep them afloat even with the inconsistencies and the health of Kevin Durant and James Harden. So he deserves some credit for that, for having arguably uh, his best regular season ever. Okay. Not bad bad there. Uh, I almost thought you might have left out somebody, but you didn't. So I, I can't go wrong with that. Our team is a little similar, so I went with Kyrie at the guard. Uh, I, yeah, like you guys, I didn't think you could leave the net off here. Uh, Kyrie has been really good. Uh, no matter how you feel about World B Flat, he's been fantastic. Um, so, World no, B Flat can't, can't be can't be mad at that at all. He's been really good. <laughs> um, Jimmy Butler was my other guard. Um, he obviously like everything you said, Brian. Um, Twenty two seven and seven. Glad you like the world be flat. 22, 7 and 7. Uh, he's been fantastic this year. I think the fact that what he did coming back from 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 COVID, that's also just amazing. Like Brian said, losing 12 pounds um, and how he's led this team. And Miami's still primed to be dangerous in the playoffs. He's been good. Uh, LeBron, I had on here, I'm sure some people will say 43 games, but I'm with Murph. You got to look at what the impact was when he played before the injury and even coming back. Uh, he just came back against the Pacers, came back once and came back again against the Pacers, and has looked pretty good. The guy still looks amazing at his age of 36. It's fantastic what he's doing on the court. He was easily top two or three uh, in MVP before he went out with that ankle injury. Undoubtedly, uh, LeBron. It, it also would have just felt weird as hell not having LeBron on an all-NBA team when we still know he's one of the 15 best players in the league despite the 43-plus you know, games played. Um other forward for me was somebody nobody mentioned, Zion Williamson. Uh, I was shocked Murph didn't have him here, and Murph had Tatum. I think it was a tough choice for me between those two, but I thought Zion has just been – his numbers are crazy, right? This guy's shooting well over 60% from the field. And then what impressed me down the stretch with him in the, down the season 
was how when the ball was in his hands for New Orleans and he was running office, even though New Orleans was terrible defensively, as Murph knows, the ball in his hands, he's become a really good decision maker. He's getting better at running the point forward. The assists are starting to go up, trending over three and a half a game. So I liked his game, the efficiency inside, the ability to finish. Uh, Zion, as many people expected, is a star. He is out of this world with the athleticism and the power and the rebounding, especially on the offensive rebounding side. Just fantastic. I think he deserved to make uh, the third spot. So I put him there. And then the center, I put the Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert. Uh, there, I think you know he's the third best center. You got to give a Jazz player some love. I feel bad I did not put Donovan Mitchell on this. We'll wow. get into the tough cuts. Yeah, Look, I did not. got a snub. Yeah, yeah, Donovan Mitchell got a snub. So I felt I had to put some Jazz player on here. Um, and this is kind of why I think if he went positionless, I might actually have Rudy Gobert off here and would have had Donovan Mitchell on here. This is, I think, Sweet. this is actually the case of why we should go positionless because I agree with what Murph is saying. I think Mitchell's more important to the team and the leader offensively, but when you're locked into the positions and Murph and I were trying to do where we didn't do too much personal flexibility, this is the kind of tough decisions you get down to. So that's my third team. Uh, put Zion in there. I feel bad for leaving Tatum off. I feel bad for leaving, leaving uh, Mitchell off as well, too. But let's get into that. Who did you – because the third team is hard, right? Because you're looking at this at the end and you're like, man, I'm not going to put this guy on. I'm not going to put this other guy on. I'm mess up this guy's money. Um, who did you feel bad, Brian? You feel like somebody you want to talk about? Who did you really yeah. feel bad about leaving off? My my sixteenth guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna get into. Okay, so here's what happens, right? When you put Embiid and Jokic on the same team, yeah, you're you school- feel bad about you- it. <laughs> Rudy Gobert uh, would have been the third center if I just went strictly positions, and Bam would have been squeezed. So because Bam gets that spot, that takes out a forward spot. That then, for me, would have gone to Zion Williamson, who did miss the last few games but was active for most of the season and just went on the tear. He shot like 80% from the floor, whatever it felt like. <laughs> it wasn't quite that, but it felt like that on some nights. Um, so that was a ways to go defensively, but man, that dude, he, if he's not on the you know official All-NBA third team or whatever this year, he's going to get there probably within the next year or so because – that dude is legit. And the toughest squeeze for me at guard, uh, my next man up, so to speak, was Devin Booker. It was a Donovan yeah. Mitchell, Devin Booker thing for me. And f- it, with Utah finishing first, I wanted to give Mitchell the nod. The, the difficult thing with him is that he plays at guard. So, and there's so many guards in the NBA who are great, putting up big numbers, impacting winning and things like that. But I think Rudy Gobert gets almost too much credit for where Utah is, and Donovan Mitchell gets not enough. But it's easier to fit Rudy Gobert on these teams because of the position he plays. So Donovan Mitchell deserves more credit for that because, you know, to Murph's point, like, if you don't have this guy, what is their team really? Because all of a sudden, Boyan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, and Jordan Clarkson, there's your offense. Somebody has to get these buckets late, and Rudy Gobert is not creating shots at the end of games. Donovan Mitchell is. So, but Devin Booker was the toughest cut for me. He was right there, and it really came down to him and Donovan Mitchell. I wanted to get Kyrie and Eric because he was great. But, you know, and and then I would say shout out to the two Washington guys. None of us had yes. Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook. And for me personally, y'all could get into this a little bit more, but for me personally, Bradley Beal, though he might lead the league in scoring, 
they were about 17 and 32, 17 and 33 until Russell Westbrook picked it up. So Bradley Beal didn't quite impact winning as great as he had been in that way until Russell Westbrook really picked it up after he had such a bad start to the season. So for for me, it's like Bradley Beal was great, but there's this sort of big roadblock with the wins. And then Russell Westbrook just picked it up over the last, you know, six or eight weeks or so. Yeah, no, all, all good points. Murph, who else uh, did you have a tough time? Uh, who got left on a chopping block here that, that couldn't make the team? I mean, a lot of guys. I mean, I agree. Well, first, you know, let me say but, uh, Jimmy Butler. Um, I mean, you know, obviously when he played, he was he was pretty damn good. Um, but it just it was a lot of inconsistent in terms of being on the floor. I know some of it had to, you know, a lot of it had to do with injuries and, and COVID. Um, but just the inconsistency there. And it was more like eye test in terms of, because he did play the same amount of games as like a Paul George um, mm-hmm. in, ter- in low fifties. But I felt, you know, you, I had to look at team success also. And I feel like the Clippers are, you know, had a better regular season than the Heat did. So a lot of it is team performance um, and the inconsistency of being on the court. So that's why I left Butler out. Yeah, I feel bad about Beal and Westbrook for sure. But again, team performance, these guys, you know, they're like, they were flirting with, they're basically, you know, they were in the 9 10 spot at, at best all year. Um, Beal, I, I don't think he does enough outside of scoring uh, compared to these other guards. Um, Harden and KD didn't play enough games, but, you know, yep. the games they played, they would have definitely been on there if it was just about how you did when you were in there. Booker, uh, had a, had an issue leaving him on. It's just not enough space, man. Um, bam. Even, even a guy like Levine for Chicago. Uh, Zion. I mean, you know, I watched the Pelicans at almost every game, and they were just so bad. <laughs> that I, think yeah, it, I was, was going to ask you about that with Zion. What's the team yeah, success? It just, taints, it just taints his – I mean, I know he was great. Yeah. You know, he was beast all season, no doubt about it. But, you know, the, when you just, you're, you're just on a losing team. You know, they really – I know they were flirting with the playoffs, but they never they never felt like they were good enough to make it. And I know it's not Zion's fault, but you know, he wasn't good enough to change that narrative. You know, and I and, and he's a young guy, so hopefully next year he picks up his game to the point where he can impact winning a little more. Huh. Yeah, I, you guys mentioned a lot of the guys that had trouble. Get him a Zion, different coach too, that might help. Yeah, Zion. <laughs> wow. I, I, I mean Zion. Yeah, yeah. I look back just on, just on that, you know, I got to talk Pelicans for a second. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Stan Van got a four-year deal. Do you think he could be fired? This year? Not this yeah. year. After next year, though. After if, next year. If, if they have a similar year. season, if they have a similar season next season, yeah. then, yeah, after that, he's, fact, probably, he's probably done. In fact, I'll take it a step further. If they have a rough start after 20 games into the season next year and they look mm. as bad defensively as they do now, and they are, let's dare I say, six games under five hundred, you know, or something. Yeah, I could see him. The, the seat's going to be too hot, and especially if Zion's balling, right? If he's putting up close to the numbers that we're seeing now, or the passing gets better, the playmaking gets better, and they're still losing. Oh no, you can't. You can't be wasting these years of Zion early on balling the way he is, moving towards a rookie extension, and we all know how happy he, he, he unhappy he was. Uh, and how happy he seems to be about playing in the garden. Now, uh, the Pelicans, you got to do something about that. You can't, uh, 
you can't have that happen. Um, Speak, speaking of the Garden, they should trade Brandon Ingram to the Knicks, but that's another story for another day. That, that's another story for another day. <laughs> um, I, so for me, with Zion, Murph, it, it was – I struggled with it because his numbers are so good, and then I looked at what you said, which is like, hey, the team's production is not that good. We never really thought they were even going to make the play, and, I mean, they had a chance at the end, but also so did the Sacramento Kings. Right. So <laughs> that, 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 that says that. Um, I just thought his numbers were so out of this world. I wanted to give him some love and consideration because I really generally wouldn't put a team that bad. This is why I had no problem with you going with Tatum over him. I thought that was fair. The Celtics have struggled, but Tatum has literally been the thing despite COVID that has kept that team together. Um, and if they have any chance to do anything in the postseason, it's going to be because of him. So that's, that's fine and fair. I thought a lot about Westbrook because what Westbrook had done at the end of the season and how actually these triple doubles seem to have been impacting winning. However, they were horrible before. I don't think it was all Westbrook's fault. He was hurt in the beginning of the year. I think how good Westbrook was, to Brian's point, hurts Beal, right? Because it showed that Westbrook actually impacted winning more than Beal did. Because when Beal was just holding down the team, they looked like one of the worst teams in the NBA. We talked on picks and props, how we would never even bet on them. Uh, Booker, I just didn't think Booker did enough. Although it was tough. Like, I would, like, I'm not, don't think Booker was more deserving than Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is my toughest in omission here that I probably regret, right? He's the toughest omission that he's here. But again, don't think Donovan Mitchell would have been omitted if we weren't locked into positions. We weren't locked in position, there's no doubt. In fact, like I said, I'd have Donovan Mitchell over Rudy Gobert in a heartbeat uh, if we weren't locked into positions here. So Donovan Mitchell's a tough cut. I actually hope people vote a little bit better than me. I, I, I was inclined to give him. I think what it came down with Donovan, Donovan Mitchell, when you really think about it for me, it came down between him and Jimmy Butler. And I went with Jimmy Butler uh, on that second team spot because I just thought, I don't know what the heat would have been, the way they struggled offensively without Jimmy Butler, the way he came back following COVID. Like, you know, they've had their ups and downs, but he had such an impact. But I also think it's fair to be like, well, what would the Jazz be, to your point, Murph, without Donovan Mitchell? Or I think Brian said that. You're not relying on Mike Conley, Boy Abadanovich. Uh, Joe Ingles and the crew. And I mean, like, that's not scaring anybody. Let's be serious. Uh, Donovan Mitchell puts a little bit of fear on the defense and pressure on the defense, especially late in game. So, you know, he's deserving as one of the top 15 best players in the league, and for sure. And you're talking about the Jazz have the best record in the, the league. league. Right. I mean, I think you have to give – There's a there are reasons for it. I mean, I know everybody wants to say, oh, it's the Jazz system. It's Quinn Snyder. I mean – it was, I mean, people were talking about Chris Paul should be uh, an MVP candidate because of how well Phoenix is doing. I mean, and if that's the case, then you got to say the same about Donovan Mitchell. He's the Fair leader point. of that team. And, you know, even even like player efficiency-wise, him and, him and Chris Paul are like the exact same. So I think, you know, if, you know, for me, I so I went Mitchell a little above Paul because to me, um, you know, just, just in terms of you talk about making winning plays down the stretch, that's, that's, Donovan Mitchell's job, you know, and and sometimes he has to take bad shots because that's his job. But he's done it. He's done a good enough job to get them to first place in the West. Yeah. He, also, he has, yeah. and also, let's be clear: people could talk about this Utah system all they want. Ain't no Utah system without Donovan Mitchell. Right. All right. If you ain't got right. Donovan Mitchell, you ain't got no system there because then you got to figure some shit out with George's Niang or whatever. Like, come <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> 
Yeah, man, he, was, he was the man at Iowa State, though, man. Yeah. He was. Well, he was. He I'm glad to see him in the league because I thought he should have got drafted. <laughs> yeah, I, I also thought about Dan for third team center. And, um, you know, it came down between him and Jakob Pertle for me. Deciding what? I gotta give Pertle some some credit. You That's know. a callback. After after I dissed him and started watching him a little more closely, he did have a decent season. I give it to him. He had a decent season. <laughs> he was playing good defensively. That, that that that's a joke for picks and props, guys. There's no love. There's no consideration for Jakob Pertle for thirteen all NBA. Clint Capella though. Clint Capella should like. Clint, yeah. I I thought about him a little bit. I a mean, I knew bit. he wasn't gonna even even when I did what I did, sort of uh, you know, with my centers or whatever. But if I had a fourth team, Clint Capella would have been my fourth team. Yeah, Brian's the kind of guy he wants a fourth team. He'd be tying guys, trying to stretch these <laughs> out to a fourth and fifteen. No, nah, but could. then but then he it's would. like, where's the line? You know yeah, what I, I mean? I don't I don't know with you sometimes. That's the know. problem. Like it's it's hard because you only get three, but you only get three. If they had a fourth team, it'd be like, hey, you're still talking about the top twenty guys in the league. So it would be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But still, like then where's the line? You know what yeah. I mean? Got to draw the line somewhere sometime. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mom, one time. Big album drop in hip-hop last week. And we talked about this the week before with our producer, Greg. Uh, J. Cole, on this one time for your mind, we'll talk about J. Cole's new album, The Off Season. It dropped uh, last Friday. I personally actually have not read any reviews on this album. Uh, I generally stay away from things like that for a while. I just sit with it and like feel how I feel about it um, with it. Uh, let's go into this. Um, listen to the album. Uh, this is a, how many tracks are on the album? 14? 13, 14? 12. 12. 12-track 12, 12 album, I believe, right? 12-track yeah. album. Um, J. Cole, you know, really hyped this, said he's put a lot of work into this, this 12-track album, the off-season. Uh, it seems to be very focused. We heard a freestyle from him a couple of days before uh, with LA Leakers. What were, for both of you guys, what were you listening to the album the first time? What was your initial reaction? Now you've sat with it for a little bit. How are you feeling about this new J. Cole project? Murph, I'll start with you. I, I thought it was a very, very good album. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't disappointed. Um, I can't, I can't say I'm like, completely blown away like i'm not sure if it's a classic um but it's a very very good album very solid i like i like his uh you know the collabs he the collabos he did uh with uh 21 savage the little baby mm-hmm. um you know so i just i just you know my overall thing is i'm not disappointed at all even though it got all this hype we knew there's pressure on him um i like the album a lot um, but th- you know, that's just as far as I can go right now. I can't, I can't say right. that it's, it's like, you know, one of the best albums I ever heard or it's a classic. Yeah. Um, I'll share my thoughts on that in a second. Um, sort of with you on there, Murph, uh, Brian, where, where are you on, on, on this album? I'm fairly confident that I'm never going to say this is a classic though. It is very good. Uh, yes. I'll say that. I'll, I'll say that. And look, one, like not every good album has to be a classic guys like people just are we talked about this last week willy-nilly throwing the word classic out for anything that's like a seven out of ten you know and i think this is a little above a seven out of ten uh i probably comfortably say eight or something along those lines at my first guess or something like that um i have one skip and i think i may only have one skip which is a good sign for a 12 track album 
100 mil, not a song that I really care for on the album. But there's a lot of other stuff I like. Now, J. Cole leaned into the auto-tune a little bit more than I thought he would, which I found interesting, but I didn't think it was necessarily distasteful. Uh, outside of 100 mil, I don't really care for that song like at all. But, you know, there's a little bit of everything here in terms of rapping. There's some auto-tune stuff, but then you also have some of the boom-bap stuff, like I'm Punching the Clock, which I actually wish I he had a song. I love that song. I, yeah, right. That's right. That's right. That's that right, right in our bag. I wish he had a second verse. You know what I mean? I feel like it's the boom bap version of 27 Summers, where that's a song I was <laughs> replaying a lot. You know what yeah. I mean? When I that's That was an early favorite for me. I was glad to see the climb back was on there that came out last year, because that's a great song that I think, you know, should stick with people a little bit more. That was a song of the year contender for both of us. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff on this album that I really, really liked. I like the Amari joint that Timberland worked on. I like the Pride is the Devil joint that a lot of people seem to like. Um, and let go my hand with uh, Black and Boss. Boss was all over this album, which you know we didn't know if there were going to be features on it. And Boss had three of them, which I found interesting. And uh, Murph mentioned Twenty One Savage. Twenty One Savage, I thought had a very good verse on that My Life joint. And Moray, I was pleasantly surprised to hear him doing the hook because Moray is one of these newer artists. He he just released his first project late April, and he's somebody that you know I'm looking forward to sort of his career growth. And I thought his project. All around was solid, so I was glad to hear him on the J. Cole album. Yeah, I'm I'm with both you guys. Like I my first reaction when I listened to this album was like, oh man, this is this is really good. This is solid. I was actually impressed the way J. Cole balanced the versatility of the sound. You know, it had this nice mix of the New York boom bap sound and a little bit of the more modern trappish southern sound, but not as heavy on the 808s. And I thought it was really good. I think J. Cole benefited a lot from working with different producers on this. I love I loved Amari. That's actually one of my favorite songs. I think some traditional J. Cole fans may not like the sing-songy stuff, but he has this really good ability of doing it while actually giving lyrics, which you don't see as much in some of the uh, trappish sound in music from today, but he's still giving you bars within these sing-songy flows, and he's really good at it. Um, he showcases this on this album. I think this is a very good album. I would say I'm, I'm with you guys. It's probably four out of five, eight out of ten a very solid project that has some replay. I like tighter albums. You know this, Brian. I like the, the, le- the length of what this album is in, 12 tracks. I love this. Perfect. There were just some songs I wish like, damn, I want you to have another verse in that right. or another hook in another verse. I, w- I wanted that. Um, Punch the Clock is a perfect example of that. Although he did a fantastic job using uh, the Damian Lillard interview with Chris Haynes from uh, last year in the bubble. I love the touch. I love the touch with that. Um, one of the songs, which he, the features, I was surprised because we didn't think there was any features going into this. Cameron on 95 South in the intro. And I also <laughs> believe, is that also, I don't know if this is confirmed. I have not read this anywhere. Is that also Little John at the end? I assume that is, right? Little John at the end of that song. It That's sounded cool. like it. Yeah, it sounded yeah. like it. I love the touch in that, like, you know, New York to down South. I love the touch in that um, with that song. I love the beat on that by Boy Wonder. Uh, Timbaland definitely did his thing on Amari, as I said. I like that. Um, when I heard My Life, which is joint with 21 Savage and, and Moray, as soon as I heard it, it reminded me of the song a lot that he had done with 21 Savage on his album. And I could totally hear, could hear 21 Savage on it. And 21 Savage delivered with a diverse yeah. little baby who I'm not like really a fan of or anything or really check for his music. Same. Really liked his verse on Pride is the Devil. That's actually a really good song. Um, I really like that. I'm with Brian. My least favorite song on this album is probably 100 mil, but it's growing on me. I'm starting to like it a, a, a little bit, a little bit more. Uh, Close is also a really good song uh, and, and wordplay. 
uh, playing off the word and, you know, talking about losing, losing a close friend that I really like. I think my one knock on this album, if I had one, would be the album doesn't really have a theme, right? Like it's more of this lyrical showcase from J. Cole, which is fine. It's almost the way, Brian or Murph, I look at Royce the Five Nine when you look at the Book of Ryan as compared to one of his prime projects or Primo. They're two different kinds of albums you look at. Like prime joints are ones where like Royce is just lyrically flexing. And you know, the Book of Ryan is one where it's more of a theme and really good, you know, more better song making. But I think J. Cole deliberately did this. He wanted to just flex on this album, show his lyrical ability. And I think that's executing. There's something to be said about that, right? Like he, this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to show his pen was sharp. He showed it. He delivered it. I think this is high replay value. The one knock is some songs could be longer, but the production's really good. It sounds really fresh from the boom bap stuff to the trap stuff. It sounds really good. And this is something I actually want people to do hip hop. You can diversify your sound and still have the bars, right? Like you can still right. do sing songy flows, which I enjoy with good melody and still have good substance to it. And J. Cole uh, definitely showed us. I think it's good. I'm not going to go and say it's a classic. I think yeah. people are saying it's a classic. It's yeah. They're jumping way too far. Where I rank this in terms of, a friend was asking me in terms of J. Cole's discography, I think it deserves to be high up there because I think it's a tight project. I think it's a thought-out project, even though without a team, a theme, excuse me, he thought about what he wanted to do and executing it. So I think that's good. I think it's a really good project and I'm sitting with it. I'm enjoying yeah. it. I'm enjoying it. It'll probably be up there in a contender for album of the year. Um, you know, I'm sure people will talk about it in, in, in that way. But I'm actually intrigued to see what J. Cole does next if he decides to work with more producers and then focus back onto a theme for his album, which I think his next album will be, how that'll be and how that'll work out for him. Um, but yeah, I'm not putting this in the classic range of feel. Eight out of 10 feels fair. Right, yeah. you kind of agree with that? Like that eight out of 10 score, that feels like pretty fair for it? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah, that's fair. Eight, eight and a half, something like that. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that feels fair for there for it and you know i think when you also have a classic album maybe you guys agree with me i I, this is just and we've only sat with it for like two days three days but i think you know there's not a i don't have the feeling that there's a great song on this album or this has like one of these all-time great j cole songs it's a collection of really 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 very good songs but i don't know if it's like there's one you know maybe i could argue close (laughs) Uh, but I don't know if there's like this great song that I would say, oh man, there's a song here that's automatically a top five or top ten of shit, even maybe top fifteen J. Cole song. I'm not sure I'd say that. So there are some parallels. It's funny that you mentioned that. There are some parallels with uh King's Disease on this album that I feel like where we mm. were saying the same thing, where Nas, as good as this album is, and I think King's Disease is better than this, but we were saying as good as this album is, there's not a top twenty-five Nas song on this album. which is really a testament to the artist because of all the great work that they've done throughout the course of their career. So it's really a testament to J. Cole to, you know, all the other songs that he has, but is there a top whatever J. Cole song on this album? Mm, I would have to sit and think about that a little bit more. Probably not. And also I wanted to mention, uh, uh, close. So reason from TDE tweeted this out and I shared this with Dex. I texted it to him that night. He said that without even speaking to J. Cole, he could tell that Stay was sort of the inspiration for that song, Close. Stay was a song by Nas on Life is Good that came out in 2012, which the beat was intended for J. Cole. And then Nas ended up getting it. And there's a version of J. Cole rapping on that beat uh, somewhere on YouTube or whatever. I think someone maybe even chopped it up and made it in a remix 
of stay and put J. Cole on at the end of Nas, just like how they put Nas on at the end of Let Nas Down on J. Cole's uh, Born Center album. But I found that interesting too, and I could see that. And I would think that somebody like Reason, you know, another artist and one who actually, you know, cares about his craft and really thinks about these things, I would feel like he'd be accurate in that. So uh, Close is one of my favorite songs on this album. So, you know, if that parallel is indeed there, then it makes a lot of sense because Stay is also a very underrated Nas song. Yeah, no, it, 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 this this is good. The album's full of really good songs. I don't think there's any song in here that's whack, you know. And 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 you know, I, I don't. There was not one song that was like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to want to hear that. There's a lot of, I I just came away impressed with his pen and what we could see with his pen when he works with other producers. You know, it, it feels like he was a little sharper because all he had to do was focus on the writing aspect here, and. You know, I, it's good to hear J. Cole and other people and work with some other other people. Um, I like I like that he I like that he did that as well too. I gotta bring in because we had this guy, we had our producer Greg. Greg talked about us last week, so I want to get his thoughts on this before we get out of here. Greg is a super J. Cole fan. Um, I know he was pumped for the album. Greg, uh, what what did you think about the album? Did you like Did you like it too? Did this uh, is this now your number one J. Cole album of all time? <laughs> I'm not gonna say all time, but so my my main gripes with J. Cole were always that he stuck to himself. Like he doesn't really like share his his wealth when it comes to like what he's what he's best at as a rapper or or when it comes to beats. He's kind of stubborn. Like he's it's his beats, it's my album. I'm gonna know it's like I don't wanna talk to nobody. Like so my always thing, my my whole thing with him was like I wanna see him work with other producers. Because it's more of the same, like every J. Cole album, you know, you know what kind of sound you're gonna get, and you know what kind of pen you're gonna get. It always sounds the same. Like it's a Dreamville, it's a Dreamville beat for J. Cole. Like even when it's a trap beat, it sounds like a Dreamville beat. So on this album, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the the boom bap stuff. I'm hearing the South beats. He's playing with different flows. Like he's giving me a variety of of a way of how he raps. Like he's everything's different. Like you get something different on every on every song. And it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like a trap beat from Dreamville from another artist that was trying to make a trap beat for J. Cole. You know what I'm saying? Like it sounds like, nah, this is the this is the beat I'm gonna give him and you're gonna rap on it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm what, happy with it. Yeah. What's your what's your what's your score for this album? What do you what do you give an album? Score from the album just early score. Just based on taking the risk that he did, that he's not normally known for for taking on. Even though recently, over the past couple of years, he has been more inclusive with the the um, the compilation mixtape that he put together with, you know, all the Dreamville artists and like everybody he's friends with and things like that. So for me, I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten just based off taking the risk. Wow. Okay. Give him a nine out of ten. Okay. That's that's fine. It's like four and a half. Every song had a different producer. Like this is not <laughs> this is not the artist that he is. Like he's using on. I have to do every song. Like. He's a control freak, so the fact that he, the fact that he played around and and got a lot of people on it, um, and just focused on the bars, different flows, like it wasn't just one flow, like right. Even though, like you said, like the sing song stuff, he's still giving you the bars, like oh yeah, still you know giving it to you, oh. yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was though. I'm not gonna go out and say it's his best album, but I I'm kind of leaning towards that, honestly. Oh, here we go. Because you okay. gave 18 songs on Born Center or. Doesn't mean it's, it's that was a dope album, but does, just because you give me more volume doesn't mean it's better than something that's tight, concise, yeah. and 
and still dope. You know what I'm saying? This is probably the best album that he's done when it comes to those terms. Even though KOD was dope, there's still some like, like this is better. This is better than KOD. Even though, than KOD. even though KOD has better <clears throat> songs than this, yeah. there, there's songs that that are better on KOD. But like this as a project, I think this is better. I feel, um, I feel yeah. like uh, Cole. I feel like he 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 becomes a better. He's a better rapper every album. You know what I'm saying? Not to say mm-hmm. that the al like the albums themselves, not necessarily you know his best each time. Yeah. But I, but I always I always see growth in him as a rapper through every album. Um, so I'm so I'm wondering if this changes, like you know, just like in basketball, you talk about legacy and all this stuff. Does, does this album change, you know, the hierarchy or his or his legacy right now? Like, I think most people, especially people like you know, in their forties, like in their early forties, they look at they put J Cole, Kendrick, and Drake. In a in a basic group, um, does this change where he is with with those three? I think I think he's always. I'm gonna say this, and we got to wrap. I think he's always been number two uh, behind Kendrick because I think Kendrick just always has the stamp classic albums that put him on top. But I think this moved him a notch closer because of some of the stuff Greg said, like showing his ability to work with other people, and then also flexing lyrically. The thing I think it impacts, last thing I'll say before we leave, is it impacts, I think, how we look at rappers in the, the mid-30s, right? Where it's like, yo, you're not just falling off, which is supposed to be the title of his next album. You're not just falling off, but you can get sharper. I've always hated when people have had this comparison to athletes and being like, well, rappers fall off. I'm like, no, your pen should be sharper. You might lose some breath control. But lyrical ability? Nah, you should be getting better uh, as a writer. And I think J. Cole's shown that, and we can see that. But that's yeah. all the time we have uh, for this episode. Uh, thank you to our man. Uh, Jamal Murphy, the Black Atologist. Uh, my man Brian for a second. Greg, thanks for joining us and checking in on the J. Cole album. Let us know what you think about our All-NBA teams, who you pick for All-NBA teams, and what you think about the J. Cole album. That's it for this episode. Or don't let us know shit, because I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> That's, always possible. That's always possible, too. That's it for this episode of the Daniel Hotel Podcast, episode 178. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Peace. Peace.